0: Hey, what's good, everybody? It's Cedric Warren here, your host of TED Talk. Get it? Like TED Talk, but it's me. A couple of things. I hope everyone is doing well. I hope you're holding up uh, during these times. Again. Uh, Each episode, I just really hope everybody, as you're listening, that you're doing well, you're staying safe, uh, listening to all the precautions that are being taken. I know some states are starting to reopen, uh, but I hope that uh, a lot of these governors and government officials use common sense and realize that it's probably not the best bet so far. So um, big shout out to my last couple guests, Hamilton Grant, two weeks ago. Uh, Shout out to my co-host for being on Justin last week as we talked about the NFL jerseys. I really hope that you uh, enjoy that episode episode. It's a long one, but if you sit through it, I think you'll really enjoy it uh, as well. So this week, episode 22, we have another guest. Uh, so Corey Scott, a lawyer here in the city of Indianapolis, where I'm currently living, of course. Uh, we'll be discussing the intersection of life and law. So Corey, welcome to the podcast. How you
1: doing? Doing pretty good. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I think... Uh, this is a good topic to discuss, especially in the times we're in now where we're seeing a lot of things roll out from the government. We're seeing a lot of uh, things happen that are impacting people's lives, um, not just now, but in the future as well. And I think one of the things that's important is people to understand uh, what governs us, right? We know about laws and policy and things like that. We hear those words, but how does it really affect us on a day-to-day? And for someone like yourself who interacts with that type of Um, field every single day. I think you're a perfect person to have on as well. So uh, we'll jump into it. We'll go ahead and jump into it. And so go ahead and tell us who you are, uh, where you're from, where you went to school and about your practice. Okay.
1: Thank you so very much. Um, As you mentioned, my name's Corey Scott. I'm a local uh, legal practitioner here in Indianapolis, Indiana. I'm from Chicago, Indiana, originally. Um, I attended Indiana State University in Terre Haute for undergrad, and then I graduated from law school um, here at IU Indianapolis School of Law. And in terms of my practice areas, uh, my main calling is criminal defense. I do some bankruptcy work, and do some personal injury work as well.
0: Cool. Great, great. So what uh, got you into law? Was there a moment or experience that made you say, yeah, legal practice, uh, being a lawyer, that's something I want to do? Uh, was it something that you developed while you're an undergrad? T- take us kind of through that process as well.
1: Yeah, well, you know, mainly to be honest, it was. Growing up, um, I had people in my life, uh, both in my family as well as people that were friends of the family that were, um, how should we say it, I guess, on the wrong side of the law, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And so I had some exposure to the legal system at a very young age. And one thing that I noticed was that all of the people that were actually making the decisions and calling the shots and that type of thing, they were... Um, you know, they were the vanilla side of life, shall we say. Right. And all of the people that were actually being um, had decisions being made about their lives, where they're going to go, what's going to happen, what the consequences were those were people that were on the chocolate side of life that looked like you and I. And so, Um, Right then and there, I sort of stuck a pin in my mind and thought that, you know what, it would be really good to have some folks that wore the black robes and made some of these decisions look like us. They could, number one, hopefully understand us and, and make the decisions with regards to, you know, black and brown people.
0: Yeah. That's good. That's good. Uh, I've heard. I I know many uh, lawyers who have I went to school with are now lawyers and stuff like that. And I think that is uh, some of that what you mentioned about seeing uh, people who look just like them on the other side of the law, and then the people making decisions. You know, as I like to call them, melanin deficient. Sometimes, uh, okay. (laughs) uh, You know, they, they don't look like them, and it and it does play a role into the decisions that are being made. Because the experiences are different and oftentimes the people who are governing and being in positions of power are not from these communities and they don't understand those communities as well. And the kind of holistic, I guess you could say, plights and other things that go into the problems that are there, uh, they're kind of taking things case by case and just saying, "Okay, you did this 15 years, you did that 10 years. Uh, Whereas we could probably make a better difference if we looked at each individual case and said, is this a decision you made off a circumstance or is this a decision you made just because, you know, so I think we have to definitely take that in account. So that's important. As well, so uh, absolutely, I, I applaud you for definitely recognizing that and moving forward and, and stepping up. I definitely agree. Uh, we definitely need more uh, African Americans, Black people in, in law practice, uh, which kind of leads us into uh, our next couple of questions too. Uh, so, you talked about your. Um, <clears throat> your areas of expertise as well and the services you provide. Uh, Is there one kind of like that you see the most or one you might like enjoy, you know, maybe through law school, something kind of piqued your interest?
1: Yeah, well, you know, the one that I really enjoy the most is um, it would be the criminal defense side of things, and that's the one in which I'm I'm immersed in that world every day, you know, in court every day, day in and day out. And what I really love about practicing criminal law is that it's just you know being able to. Um, share in the personal stories of people with and see the diverse backgrounds and all of the things that happens and the allegations and the backstory and the context. I yeah. mean there's a reason why you have so many legal television shows, cop procedural shows, etc. Yeah. Because it's very interesting because really what you're doing is you're seeing um, human beings at their best and at their very worst and everything in between on a daily basis. And so have some of those conversations. You may see the headline tonight on Fox 59 that this person did some heinous crime, but then to actually get the phone call and actually sit across from that person or that person's mother and understand that that person is just like you and I, and, but for the grace of God, you know, we could switch places with that person, you know, and sort of get, I guess, get behind the scenes and understand the psychology is very, very interesting. So I really do enjoy that part of it all.
0: Yeah, that's good. No, you're, you're definitely right. We we all could be in those seats. And I, and I think, you know, we're all all of us are a decision away from from possibly being there. Um you know, and, and I think that's something, one, my-, my... And you know
1: what, and, and, and not to cut it, not to cut in on you, but really it's not even a decision away. All of us are an allegation away. Correct. You can that's walk good. out of your apartment right now today and someone say, that's him, mm-hmm. and you have no idea what they're talking about. Right. And the next thing you know, within minutes, you know, officers mm-hmm. are on the scene in your life, you know, the way you woke up this morning and the way you go to bed tonight is completely changed and completely changed forever.
0: For sure. For sure. Um, and again, especially for people who look like us, because it seems like we always fit a description. So, um, yeah, that's good. I know, no. And uh, thanks for kind of mentioning that as well. Um, so, I, I want to ask you, too, since you mentioned the cop shows and stuff like that, how well do they kind of? Uh, I guess you can say mimic or actually show some of the procedural things that are supposed to happen uh, during, you know, a criminal trial and arrest, or and where where is it kind of drawn to add the dramatic effect, you know, with the objections and the recesses and you know all that stuff.
1: Well, you know, it, it really depends on on which show you're talking about. Um, if I were to raise up the best example in terms of being true to life and and really uh, something that really um, is very, very close to real life experience. I would offer up The Wire as the uh, one that's most like what I see on a day basis in terms of the behind the scenes, you know, the conversations that may occur in judges chambers and what happens, you know, uh, between the prosecutor and and the defense attorney, that type of thing. I would say that The Wire offers, offers up a very very real, um, you know, example as to what happens now, of course, it's still Hollywood to a certain extent. But when you talk about those types of shows, that's one that really gets as close as possible in terms of like giving you a real glimpse into that world.
0: Nope. That. Cool. Cool. I've only seen a few episodes of The Wire. I've heard it's a fantastic show. Um, My brother has watched it and I've heard other people kind of go back and rewatch it. So uh, I'll definitely have to check it out as well.
1: Oh, Um, absolutely. It's it's a classic for a reason. Okay. It's one of, I promise you, you will not regret it. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) In fact, once you go and check it out, I'm sure you'll want to just keep on watching it all the way through. Yeah. um, It's a very good.
0: For sure. For sure. Yeah. In these uh, quarantine times, we're definitely able to watch a lot of TV shows. So we have the advantage. (laughs) Uh, I actually just found out today that my job is actually going to be staying telework completely until at least May 15th now Um, and again they'll kind of reassess the situation with uh, when Governor Holcomb kind of goes back and readdresses as well since it's a state organization so I got time so I definitely will check it out Uh, probably get started this weekend uh, if not beforehand so Cool. So the, the like I said, the topic that I had uh, in the title for this episode really talks about life and law. And I think you really hinted to it uh, when you talked about we're an allegation away from being on the other side uh, of the law. Uh, so real quickly, give us your definition of what you think that intersection of life and law is and what it's like.
1: Well, you know, when I use that term, uh, what I mean is that from the womb to the tomb, Um, From birth to burial and everywhere in between, um, you can't think of an area of life. Uh, You can't think of of an activity or anything to where you could name something and the law doesn't touch it in some way. Um, When you're born, you have a birth certificate. When you die, you have a death certificate. And everything in between, you can talk about coronavirus, you can talk about a stay-at-home directive. What does that mean? What will happen if you violate that? You know, what are your rights with regards to going outside? Uh, You can talk about relationships and domestic violence being on the rise during these times. The law touches everything, every aspect of our lives, you know, And, and, and so that's what I mean when I say the intersection of life and law, I mean that the law... It really does touch every part of our lives uh, on a daily basis. And when you think about, you know, there's the quote that talks about, you know, we're a nation of laws and not of men. It's very true. Um, there is a law for everything. And, of course, there are a lot of people that are of the opinion that, you know, there's too many laws, you know. Uh, there's so many laws that we can't keep up with the laws. And there's laws that you can't imagine that there was a law against it, you know, such as. A federal law that says you shouldn't you know tear off the tag of a mattress or something like that yeah who would think that you could possibly be (laughs) breaking federal law by tearing off the tag of a mattress that you paid your good hard-earned money for yeah but there it is you know i mean there's a law for everything
0: yeah to this day i don't i don't tear that stuff off i just leave i just leave it (laughs) i just leave it it. i'm like i don't know if they're watching i don't know if i you know what if i want to get rid of this mattress (sighs) who knows right uh so I, i leave it on there so no that's that's a great definition and and mine is very similar to, um, you know, coming from a perspective of public health, where and healthcare, where we see laws really affecting how people access and how people live their lives and they're able to take care of themselves, uh, law and policy that intersect there, too, um, on how we're able to access health care. Right. And how, you know, insurance companies are able to provide care or not provide care and not be you know, sued on a monthly, weekly, daily basis for denying people coverage. You know, uh, you would think a place would want to cover people who had pre-existing conditions, but in a business model, it doesn't make sense because if I'm paying more out to the companies, then I'm not benefiting as much from you paying into your insurance and stuff. So, um, yeah, you're definitely right. It touches everything. Um there are a lot of laws. Uh, there's probably laws we uh, like. I think so. I'm from South Carolina, as as I've probably mentioned before. And I've heard there's this old, old like antebellum law that like on Sundays you can beat your wife on the state house steps and not be criminally charged. How true that is, I don't oh know. It's probably just like an old <laughs> oh super. It could be an old superstition. It could just be an old law, but it could be there. Right. And it may still actually be in the law books, but because it's buried so deep and it's so old, nobody really knows um, about it. So you wrote a blog post on your website, uh, Corey called How Not to Be Legally Stupid. And in it you mentioned how legal knowledge is accessible, how and where people can find that type of stuff. So kind of just give us your, you know, the purpose of that article, what you wanted to get at and, and kind of um, what was behind writing that article.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, That article actually came about uh, by way of just some reading that I was doing one day. And I was reading about this guy and this guy was, um, he was an investment guru. And I guess he was slated to do like a multi-day talk on investment strategies and whatnot. And so the organizer told him, hey, you know, we know that we got you set to speak on three days about investment strategies and and information and and that type of thing. But they said that we have this fourth day to where we'd like you to just talk about any subject that you'd like to. And so the guy just blurted out, well, how about how not to be stupid Uh, without even thinking about it? And so he said that over the next month, he started to do some research, whatever. And so he started to do some research and he developed this talk. And so he came up with this definition. His definition was, um, the premise was, most people think that to be stupid means to be uh, dumb or the absence of intelligence. But what he said was uh, a form of stupidity is to overlook or dismiss uh, crucial or critical information that is conspicuous, you know, that which is hiding in in plain sight, uh, information that you need, you just overlook it, you just dismiss it or diss it. And so I took that to say, you know what, I need to write something about how not to be legally stupid. That's the same concept. I really love this quote that says that the things that matter most must never be subordinate to the things that matter least. And then, of course, there's a concept of sometimes we tend to major in minor things, so to speak. And so when I was thinking about this and I put the article together, my thought was You know, in the legal arena, there is critical and crucial information uh, that people need, people need to know, and people, they just dismiss it on a daily basis, although it's hiding in, in plain sight. You know, it's just a Google search away. It's just a phone call away, but yet people don't know it. But yet people major and minor things, so they can tell you, you know, Jay-Z's lyrics on Meek Mills' latest, you know, single, or they can tell you what happened on General Hospital or the Days of Our Lives, but they can't tell you what to do if they're stopped by the police. They can't tell you what to do if they're served with papers saying that, hey, we're going to put your house up for foreclosure, although that information is readily available. And so the whole premise was that You know, how not to be legally stupid is just simply to think about things that may come your way, think about things that may be important in the legal arena, and just take the time to to Google it, to research it, to make the phone call. Um, Get off of social media, get off of Instagram and Facebook, and and just do your homework and be ready. Um, An interesting thing happened uh, just yesterday, in fact, got a phone call. This lady's son is charged with murder. This lady literally marched her son down to the police station, signed off on a waiver and had her son give a statement where he implicated himself. He Mm. placed himself at the scene of a murder. And now he's locked up and she calls me and she says, Mr. Scott, I need you to represent my son. And I asked her, I said, well, what's, what's going on? And so she proceeds to tell me that, you know, because her son didn't do anything, she believed that her son was a victim and her son didn't have anything to hide, that it was a good idea for him to go down and just talk to the authorities. And uh, she thought that he would go down, he would make this statement and he would walk back out with her the same way he walked in. Right. But that's not the way that it played out. Uh, Now he's facing murder charges. And she says, I just didn't know that I needed to do it. And so I think in situations like that, with these powerful supercomputers that we walk around with in the palm of our hands every day, it's almost, it's parental malpractice not to know that, you know, Um, just to make the phone call to do the research. And so that's the whole premise behind, you know, how not to be legally stupid is just simply to, Make sure that you know the things that matter, do the research, do your homework and to be well informed to avoid situations like that.
0: Yeah, that's good. That's good. And I appreciate you explaining that as well. And I think, too, um, as you know, as African-Americans in this country, which we've probably alluded to and will allude to in the episode as well, is that like. Uh, for us as black men, as black boys and stuff like that, you know, knowing the law is important, you know, knowing what to do, what our rights are. Um, Even if you're not necessarily a lawyer, it's just knowing the proper steps to take. Should you be implicated in something uh, to protect your legal rights? We, 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 we tie to or hold to, you know, the truth will set you free, of course. But unfortunately, that's not necessarily the case all the time in a legal courtroom in our, in our current justice system. So thanks for explaining that. I really appreciate that as well. And, and I agree with you. Information is definitely uh, right at our fingertips. So we definitely need to uh, find ways to, you know, appropriately use that as well. You know, and I know a lot of people rely on social media too for education as well. So if you do go, hopefully they're looking up the right things, uh, where lawyers, doctors, whoever, whatever kind of information they're looking at is providing credible information as well.
1: Yes, sir. And it blows my mind because on the one hand, you know, you have people that. They complain about this or that, or how bad the system is, or how bad cops are, or racial profiling, et cetera. But with all of that complaining, with knowing about these issues and how things are, it's just amazing that people never sit down in one idle moment and just say, you know what, let me find out what my rights are. Let me know what I should do if someone comes and knocks on my door tomorrow and say that they have a warrant. And so part of it is just it's as simple as just doing a simple Google search. I mean, you'd be amazed at what you'd find. I remember that after I, I posted that particular article, I did a challenge. I said, hey, you know, don't believe me, don't take my word for it either. You know, when you have an idle moment, you take your lunch break or you got some time later on in the evening, pull out the phone. You know, instead of going to IG or or going to Facebook, you know, Google, you know, what should I do if I'm stopped by the police or what are my rights? Or it might not even be in the criminal context. It might be a landlord tenant issue. You'd be surprised at what we have at our fingertips. We could just simply pull out our phones and there it is right there.
0: Yeah, that's good. You know, one
1: of the things that, that I did a talk, um, Last fall, and I talked about this, and, and I, you know, it was sort of a riff off of a scripture that talks about my people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge, you know, and then another scripture, of course, talks about people uh, cast off restraints for a lack of knowledge or wisdom. And you really can plug in that, you know, people are destroyed or uh, they have issues when it comes to legal. Aspects of, of life because it's just a simple lack of knowledge and and five minutes, three minutes of a simple search and you could be well on your way to at least having some, you know, elementary knowledge about a legal subject. And if not, at least get enough information to call an attorney and, and ask some very intelligent questions and get further input.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, uh, I think you're. I think you're right about a lot of things. We definitely have the advantage of the internet access and the the application of knowledge being right there at our fingertips. Uh, so I'm, I'm with you on that. Definitely taking the time to educate ourselves on what our rights are, uh, what to do in certain situations. Of course, we know if there's a more serious situation, we will want to seek actual legal help You know, with the legal professional, of course. Uh, I think one of the things people might say, though, is that legal terminology can be Difficult to understand. Uh, So there's kind of that barrier too of how the law is written, right? And how these things are written. It's written almost to be vague uh, and be very kind of open to interpretation, right? Uh, You see that in different laws, how laws are interpreted. It's up to the judge, right? To interpret the presentation of what you do in court, correct? So um, I think that's where people might. I want to say disagree, but kind of, you know, feel like, well, it's not as easy, you know, getting the information. Yes. But understanding that information can be tough as well. But I think that's where you kind of then take the next step to try to find somebody who can, who can make it plain. Uh, as my pastor says, you know, let me make it plain for you as well. Uh, so that's good. That's good. Uh, I want to ask you to Absolutely.
1: break it down. Yes, yeah.
0: Sir. Yeah. So important. So, um, you know, what, what What is the responsibility uh, or is there a responsibility of lawyers like yourself to kind of have a connection to the community and be a resource to them, especially for lawyers of color uh, in communities of color?
1: No, absolutely. I think it's a very important question. I think it's a very important uh, responsibility and obligation. and And my answer is a resounding yes, absolutely. There is a responsibility and obligation to um, have a connection to the community and and in more ways than just taking the next case, in more ways uh, than just making money, because it has to be about more than money. Um, Part of what we refer to um, in addition to attorney or lawyer is, is the word counselor. And that's something that I take very seriously because I think that, Part of having our community be in a better position is simply what we just talked about. I mean, I really do believe that it all starts with information. It all starts with knowledge. It all starts with knowing um, what to do and what not to do. Um, You know, I like the the phrase that says, you know, um, with better information, we can make make better choices and with better choices, we get better outcomes. The old canard says that had I known better, I would have done better. Uh, that type of thing, and so it's one of those things um, where I think one of the main obligations as lawyers is to, and it goes back to the whole thing about how not to be legally stupid, Um, part of it is even when people don't take the time to actually search and seek out the information, I think as lawyers, those that are in the know, it's our job to, you know, volunteer some time. You know, I've done whether it be a keynote, whether it be serving on some panel, whether it be doing something in, in churches, that type of thing. I've done all of those things. And then, you know, I've written like an article, monthly article in the Scoop magazine here in Indianapolis for years now where I seek to get out various um, information regarding the law and that type of thing. I really do think that that's really part and parcel of our obligation to the community is to actually go out, into the highways and byways and actually get out the information to the people, you know, even if they don't. You know, come out and actively seek it. Take it to them. You know, go to the barbershop and do maybe a Q and A or something like that. Be creative and find them where they are. And that's where things like Facebook Lives and that type of thing. I've done those types of things to where hey, you know that they're on Facebook because you're not looking up the Fourth Amendment. So get on Facebook and find them. You know, and let's just start talking about it. You know, and then blow that up. So I think that's one of the main things is, is to do that, and then also. Um, as lawyers, you know, we're obligated to take on a certain number of pro bono cases every year, you know, volunteer services and that type of thing uh, to people when we find people that are deserving, uh, they have a great need, but they don't necessarily have the resources. Mm-hmm. But I think that's one of the most important obligations that we have is to get the information because when you think of an expert, you think of a professional. Um, really the treasure is the knowledge that you have. And so, you know, I think that obligation is to give away that knowledge and and help to um, enlighten people where they're in dark spaces.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's definitely important. And and I love what you said about going to them, right? Uh, Meeting people where they are. Uh, We can't always expect people to just seek it out. You know what I'm saying? There's, I think we have to really consider the barriers that people face in getting information. And not only, you know, again, the credible information, which is important because there's a ton of information out there. Uh, Our president might call it fake news, uh, but uh, you know, there's a ton of information out there. And one of the things that I think you and I probably benefit from is that we have a college education where we were taught how to find credible sources, right? What organizations, what companies, what articles are credible for information that you can then digest and then regurgitate or seek out and, and explain to other people as well. Cause anybody can throw up a website and say, I'm an expert in law and if the police stop you, punch them in the face and they can't do nothing, right? You know, anybody can anybody can say that. Right. Uh, right. I advise you if you're listening to this podcast, do not do that do not do that um so right,
1: absolutely not yeah
0: don't do that uh but you know it's about you know taking it to them and 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 getting them that information that they need and social media is such a powerful tool that you know again it's we, we we're quick to talk about all the negative things that can come of it but the positive things that can come of it um are so great too. I know myself, I've connected with people for uh, my nonprofit work that I do uh, working on boards. I mean, there's just so many resources through social media that are there too as well. So I agree with you. I like taking it to them, the barbershop, I mean, salons where we as black people, people of color congregate, you know, uh, get I to know absolutely. the people in there because the people that might be sitting next to you in your office, uh, could be the kid who goes to the barbershop, could be the barber, could be this, uh, woman who's in the salon chair. Um, and I think getting to know them and really helps not only you, uh, when you're trying to defend them and, and, and make sure they're okay. Um, I think it also just it, it, it it gives a greater connection to the community and they know that they can seek you out, too, as well. Um, so I think there's definitely some some great uh, things that you mentioned there as well. So uh, you mentioned Scoop magazine. I was going to bring that up, too. Uh, so just tell us a little bit about that and how long you've been doing with that and um, some of the things you've talked about in your in your articles.
1: Yeah, um, Scoop Magazine, you know, I can't say exactly how long I've been doing it. I, I know that it's north of five years for sure. I may be just shy of maybe 10 years writing this monthly article. And so, as you might imagine, uh, that length of time with a monthly article, I've touched upon yeah. almost everything that you can imagine. Yeah. Um, from criminal law, from bankruptcy, some things have been commentary I've had. Uh, short stories that I've written um, as a form of edutainment—you know, trying to educate folks and, and uh, entertain them as well. Yeah. Uh, just trying to hit them where they are, so to speak. So um, I've talked about a little bit of everything, and that that catalog goes way back, uh, eight or nine years now. So it's something I really enjoy because I've always uh, enjoyed the written word, yeah. and so um, I can certainly tell you that. I've been approached by so many people, um, and and that's where I get encouraged that that tell me that, hey, you know, I read your article, or they look forward to the article. And not just people, either, in terms of citizens, but a lot of my colleagues, you know, tell me that they they read the articles and that type of thing. So um, it's been a blessing to me, and I know that I've gotten a lot of good information out into the community through that medium as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. Uh, And again, providing resources to people is the biggest thing we can do. Right. Um, Old saying I can lead a horse to water, but I can't make him drink, of course. But uh, if there's no water to drink, what what can you do? Right. so right. definitely, definitely getting people the information they need, right? Setting people up to be their absolute best. And and that's a lot of things when I talk about on the show. And a couple of episodes ago, I did the kind of open letter to America after the coronavirus and realized how many things were being exposed. Uh, again, as you talked about legally, everything being touched with people not having access to care, being denied care. Uh, People who are vulnerable are already gonna be uh, affected even more uh, as well. So I think we have to realize that we have to get people the, the tools to be great and to create an equitable system. Everybody has to have the access to the same quality of information, healthcare, Everything else as well, education, Um, because it's one thing just to give it to somebody. But if it's not the same quality, then, you know, what's the use? Right. I can build a hospital in a small rural town. um, But if the doctors are subpar, if the the equipment is subpar, then what good is it doing Um, compared to the hospital that's built into the major city uh, where there's more affluent people as well? So, yeah, that's definitely important. Uh, a couple more questions as we keep going. Thanks again for, for rocking with me today. Uh, tell me about, and you, you may have talked to this too, but what do you think lawyers can do like outside of legal practice uh, to kind of help the community too? I mean, is there, I don't know, maybe going into schools or anything like that? You know, What are some of the things that you think or think can be done more of as well?
1: Yeah, you know, outside of the law, I think it's just certainly in our community, um, there's always a great need for um, good, positive uh, black male role models. Yeah. So whether that be being a uh, big brother or going into the schools or being a coach. I had a opportunity a few years ago to, you know, coach some uh, second graders in football, and, and it was really a very enjoyable thing uh, just to be able to interact with those young men on that level and, uh, you know, uh, meet their parents and, and to instill some values in them, uh, some life skills that are, that of course were taught through the lens of football and that type of thing and teamwork and attitude and that type of thing. So that was a blessing. So I think outside of the law, it's just really about being, um, you know, a good, good citizen and trying to expose them to um, things other than what they're normally exposed to. One of the things that my pastor says all the time is, you know, how can you choose what you've never been exposed to, you know, and I think it's very true. So as black men, we have to get out there and just be a part, whether that be, you know, throwing a ball and playing catch or uh, like you said, volunteering to um, do something in a school or be a big brother or help some kid read or something like that. And so you come in through that particular portal, but then as you get to know people, you know, I mean, obviously they'll have some questions about what you what you do and what you're about, and then you can maybe talk about the law and you're a lawyer, et cetera, et cetera. And I think sometimes just being just letting people uh, see the human side of you, so to speak. I think a lot of times, you know, going back to your question about you know, the law is written in a certain way and it's it's written in a way that is vague and that type of thing and subject to interpretation, I think a lot of times professionals, and not just legal professionals, sometimes we hide behind suits and big words um, instead of just speaking in plain speak, you know, one of the articles that I wrote one time was um, it talked about you know, not having any million-dollar words and no legal mumble jumble. because I can tell you that there are so many times when, you know, folks go into court and we'll be in court for an hour or two hours, and then when we get out, the first thing they say is, what just happened in there? Because they have no idea. What the whole piece is about, and what folks are talking about, and I can relate to that because you know I've I've been in situations down to your field, you know, in the medical aspect, to where you know you'll have maybe a doctor or a dentist, and they're having a conversation about you, but they're they're using all this this medical lingo, and I have no idea what they're talking about, and I'm like, doc, what what did she just say? What's going on? Is everything okay? So to speak. Um, so I think part of what we can do outside of the law is just to be good old down to earth human beings and then let people get the other side of us, not always being so buttoned up and serious and that type of thing.
0: Yeah, You know. that's good. That's good. Uh, be genuine. Um, I don't like to throw around my education. Um, you know, when people ask about your credentials and stuff, uh, I'm proud of. The pursuit of it, you know, I'm proud of obtaining a master's degree and and the knowledge that I have, but I don't want that to be my persona. I don't want to be, uh, you know, Cedric is the only, you know, he's the MPH person. That's the only thing he talks about. Do I recognize it? Yeah. You know, it's a great accomplishment, just as anybody else who obtains a Juris Doctorate or or MD, um, DO, anything like that from a professional degree. Uh, But I'm with you. We need to not necessarily hide behind that um, and recognize that we're still people, too. We still make mistakes. Uh, there's things we don't understand, and I think we can grow this communication and grow this connectivity to the community if we start to do that. If we let our hair down a little bit and say, "Yeah, I'm a doctor, but you know, I'm from here. I'm from this community. I'm from the city. I know." the problems that are faced uh, in this community, or I'm from a similar area. And while, you know, I did obtain this education, this formal education, you know, I still have a connection to, you know, who I am and where I come from. Uh, And I think from a medical standpoint, that's huge because people want to recognize one, uh, that you're a person too, and they want to see people who look like them uh, while they're, you know, getting treatment as well. And I think, Uh, It's probably the same for anybody who is going through legal troubles. They want to possibly see somebody who looks like them, you know. So I want to uh, wrap up with a couple more things. I just looked up on the American Bar Association's website um, about race and ethnicity. This is from 2009, 2019. The amount of African-American lawyers has pretty much stayed the same at 5% uh, across the board, where we see white Caucasian is around 85 with a slight change over the last 10 years. Uh, is there a need for more African American lawyers and, and legal professionals? In your opinion?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, absolutely. I wasn't familiar with those numbers that you just cited, but just anecdotally, um, I can tell you from being in the courtrooms on a daily basis, um, there is a great need. You know, there is a great need, and it really does matter. And it's not always about just race or anything, but, you know, as you just alluded to, um, there is something to being able to look across a desk or see someone in a courtroom that looks like you, uh, that can speak the same language, so to speak, and, and that at least you have an idea that that person may be able to relate to your particular experience. So I think that there's a very great need. I'm kind of troubled to hear that, you know, the numbers aren't going up and they're not increasing, uh, but. Uh, There is a great need. There is certainly a great need for more lawyers and more people to be in the legal profession. And then beyond um, more lawyers, just as citizens, we need to do a better job of participating. So when you get that notice that says, hey, we need you to be a juror, you need to get yourself down there and be a juror because who knows, it may be your son, who knows, it may be your daughter. And guess what? If people that look like us, they don't get down there and fill those seats, it's going to be very difficult to have a jury of your peers because your peers didn't bother to show up. Right. So that's something that I see a lot of um, – there's just a great need. you know. Um, I can go down there to that jury pool on any given day, and you can see that we're not fairly represented in terms of mm-hmm. prospective jurors. And so when you start off with – um, a marginal number of prospective jurors, and you know that the odds of getting um, a very representative jury—I mean, it, it's very difficult to do—and so yeah. um, that's a great need as well. And we understand that um, certain we can't in the living room and holler about, "Oh, there goes another bad decision again!" You know mm-hmm. that type of thing. When we had the chance to be a part of that, for sure, um, and we didn't take it, so. For sure.
0: For sure. I uh, have not been called for jury duty yet, uh, but I would definitely go when that time comes. <laughs> if that, you know, I know p- people who've been called actually multiple times, but I have yet to been get that summon yet. So I hope I didn't necessarily jinx myself. But, you know. Uh, I will definitely go uh, when that time comes because I do know the importance of that and how that decision can definitely, you know, affect someone's life again. So, uh,
1: yeah, it's very important. I I actually had the experience of being a juror, actually. Um, I was surprised because I thought for sure they would get rid of me Uh, the moment they found out that I was an attorney, but they ended up keeping me on the jury jury and um, I served as a four person. It was for a civil matter, of course, Mm. but it was very, very interesting just to be on the inside and to um, listen to the evidence and then know what happens behind those closed doors. Mm. Um, And I was really shocked, to be honest, at, at what I heard and some of the things that people uh, took into consideration how well or how how bad they actually followed the judge's instructions. It was very, uh, it was yeah. very informative, I can tell you that.
0: Yeah, Yeah. and I think too uh, as we talk about it, I mentioned race of course, that's easy, the first thing we see with people, but there needs to be a greater diversity in experience too because that plays a lot into decisions that people make, right? Uh, you and I are both African American but our experiences are different, right? Uh, so you, how you perceive one uh, episode or one thing, uh, may differ from what I what I uh, perceive it as because of our experiences. Uh, so those things are important too, right? So I definitely agree with you is just a greater diversity among experience, race, age, ethnicity, uh, all throughout the lawyer ranks, of course. And then, of course, those participating in in juries as well, Um, because, like you said, it's a trial of your peers and you want your peers to be well represented, uh, you know, across the board. It could be a 22 year old. Who's you know on trial, and then there's a 22 year old uh, in the jury pool, you know, and they understand what it's like to be right. 22 in this, this you know this day and age. Uh, so that could benefit that person. So definitely cool. Well, I uh, appreciate all the information you have given. I appreciate you being on and talking with you. I have one final question, and uh, if you can answer this, um, who is your hero? or your legal kind of role model or something like that?
1: Yeah, you know, um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think of a couple people that come to mind, uh, certainly there's a great, um, great John Lachron, uh, certainly, uh, is one of my legal heroes, just the way that he handled himself. And, um, just how I remember just watching him operate in the courtroom and just having just a sense of just pride, uh, just seeing this man standing up and advocating and uh, just making a difference in the way that he, he did. Um, and then um, a more personal hero of mine on the legal side would be uh, Jerry Spence, who's a very uh, renowned attorney as well. and he's my legal hero. I mean, certainly I've met him, I've gone to his trial college and that type of thing, but he really advocates being a lawyer that's really uh, down to earth and in touch with the people and being someone that really can connect with people on the heart level, so to speak. Um, And so I think that's very important because he talks about the importance of listening, uh, the importance of Sort of switching places with the people that you represent, so to speak, through different techniques. Um, there's a technique called psychodrama, in which you sort of play out, you do role playing, and it allows you to really experience what your client may have experienced. And so, just different things like that. And um, his knowledge and what he preaches and espouses in, in that regard. Um, it's just been truly life changing, and then I'll leave uh, There's one other person that really impacted me as a young attorney. Um, when I got my first office, when I went solo for the first time, uh, for a period of time, I was office mates with a bunch of uh, veterans, I mean, these guys had been practicing for like 25, 30 years apiece, and here I am, I had fresh out of law school. Uh, wet behind the ears and that type of thing. And one of my um, legal mentors, I'll never forget, uh, he told me something that has stuck with me. And he said this, he said, Corey, he said, we don't practice law, we practice people. And um, that really has stuck with me. And it really has been something that I've taken with me um, every day into the courtroom, every experience in terms of practicing law and it's something that has made a great difference in my life as a lawyer.
0: That's good. I like that. I like that quote as well. Uh, I said that was the last question, but I actually had a follow-up now since you mentioned that. Uh, what? Tell Just give us like your experience about going out on your own and starting your own firm like what was that like Uh, was that something you always wanted to do Uh, or was it you know kind of like again seeing somebody do it and thinking I could do it too
1: well you know it was something uh, that I wanted to do Um, and I was blessed to be in a situation to where I'd sort of do it on a part-time basis first Uh, because I spent years uh, with the public defender agency and so um, while I was with that agency, I was getting a lot of day-to-day experience doing trials and that type of thing. But we could also take cases on the side. And so what I did was while I was still at that agency, um, I opened up a little office. And when I say little office is really the, the way to describe it. I mean, you barely could get my little desk in there and the chair. <laughs> But I'll never forget it. It was on Monument Circle. I had this little office and I opened it up. And um, so that was really great because it allowed me to sort of test the waters. But what happened was eventually um, the folks in the agency said, hey, man, you know, you guys are, you know, you're here, you're there. We don't know where you guys are. You're going to have to make a choice. You know, either you're going to stay with the agency and do the agency thing or you're going to go out on your own. And um, I chose to go out on my own because at that point I was starting to get more and more momentum. I was becoming more known in the community and I was just about making about the same amount on my own as I was at the agency. And so um, that gave me the confidence that it took to go ahead and test the waters. And I haven't looked back and um, I haven't had a day of regret.
0: That's good. That's good. Good, good, good. Well, that's a great story. And uh, I, you know, I, I wanted you to talk about that too, for anyone who's listening. Like I said, I do know a lot of uh, people I went to college with who are now lawyers uh, they tune in. So if they're thinking about it, you know, go for it. Uh, if you want to, if you can follow the same situation where you can do it on a part time basis first, do that uh, as well. So that'd be great. Uh, Corey, I really appreciate you being on. I've enjoyed our talk. Uh, definitely would like to have you back on. I'm pretty sure life will uh, and just national happenings will definitely bring us back uh, to a new topic that we can definitely get into the legal aspects of. So definitely appreciate that as well. For my Indiana listeners, Um You can also go to Corey's website. He can be found at www.coryscottlaw.com. Again, appreciate you and thanks for being on. Thank
1: you for having me. Looking forward to uh, getting together in the future.
0: For sure. So again, everyone, I hope you enjoyed uh, listening in on this topic and listening to what we've been talking about. Um, Again, the life and law intersect is real. Uh, It it is an everyday piece of who we are and what we do. So uh, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at said underscore talk. Um, You can follow us there. Like all our pictures, retweet what we talk about. Uh, You'll find all our information there. I'll post the podcast every Friday there for my new list as well. Uh, We are available on all podcast platforms, Spotify, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to leave uh, a liking and a rating. Uh, Like, share, subscribe with all your friends so we can grow this thing. And I really appreciate it. Uh, Check out the links in our bio. uh, Get you some said talk merch. We got some mugs. We got some stickers, some playing cards and everything else. So uh, once again, thanks for everybody for listening and uh, have a good day. I'll talk to you later.